Welcome to the Rise to Change podcast. I'm your host, Daniela Scani, and uh, my co-host, Marcella, couldn't be here today. We are mental health professionals with a private practice in New York City. And guess what? We are not only partners in business, but also in life. This podcast explores the everyday struggles of working professionals that we've seen throughout our combined 25 years of practice, as well as our personal lives. Our motto is to normalize, not minimize. Well, good morning, and uh, I'm excited uh, to have as one of my uh, guests for today's episode, Dr. Wilfred Van Gorp. He's the director of the Cognitive Assessment Group. He's a national expert in neuropsychology. Dr. Van Gorp has led neuropsychology testing programs in three of the nation's leading department of psychiatry at UCLA, Cornell, and Columbia. Uh, Dr. Van Gorp has, uh, has focused on neuropsychological testing, and he has evaluated thousands of individuals with a variety of conditions, including ADD, ADHD, uh, concussions, and so forth. Dr. Van Gorp, it is an honor to have you here, and uh, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right. All right. So the reason why uh, Marcella and I, she couldn't be here today, she's my partner in the podcast, we wanted to speak with a with an expert in ADD and ADHD because uh, a lot of our clients, a lot of uh, professionals that we work with, oftentimes come to us and tell us, well, look, I, I'm struggling with attention and uh, I think I have ADHD or ADD. And uh, yes, we can always ask those questions uh, related to uh, how to diagnose, but we feel that would be a disservice. One of the things that I wanted to start with, can you tell us a little bit more about ADD and ADHD, if you can tell us the differences between adults and children? Sure. Well, in AD, we, we call them all ADHD, and then there's inattentive presentation, there's ADHD a hyperactive presentation, then there's ADHD combined presentation. It's a little confusing because our diagnostic manual calls them all ADHD, but some are inattentive, some are hyperactive, some are combined. That is both. So let me just talk about in general the characteristics of these, then we'll talk about how adults and children differ. For inattentive, it, people are sort of quietly inattentive. They may make minor mistakes. They may be distracted when someone's talking to them. They're not paying attention. They make mistakes when driving. They may miss stop signs. They may go through a red light because their mind is elsewhere. They may miss an exit on the expressway. Um, they are not organized as they are um, – doing various things. They're, they're losing their cell phone. They're misplacing papers. They're losing track of things. This, they're losing their keys. That is the inattentive type of mm -hmm. ADHD. Hyperactive type, they're driven by a motor. They're always on the go. They may uh, have difficulty waiting in line. They want to get to the front of the line. Difficulty um, waiting their turn. They often finish the other person's thought before they finish talking. They just can't sort of sit still. They're fidgety in their seat. Uh, so that's the hyperactive type, just boundless energy, fidgety, restless, can't sit still. Um, for adults, 
they tend to a little bit normalize the behavior more to social context. In children, for example, in the hyperactive type, it's just boundless energy if they're hyperactive. They play on the monkey bars. They uh, can't stay in their seat at school. They're all over the place. They're the class clown. Um, for the inattentive type, they forget to take their homework assignment home. They forget to return it when they go back to school the next day. Um, when they do their homework, they, uh, on the math assignment, they subtract instead of add. All of this kind of thing. Um, for the adult, uh, they procrastinate. Um, they put off doing the housework until later. They can't, uh, they, they put off doing a, a long-term assignment, a lengthy assignment, a lengthy paper they're supposed to write, let's say if they're in graduate school, or let's say they have a project at work that uh, is a report on an Excel spreadsheet. They put it off. They delayed doing it. And the boss is getting more and more irritated. Where's the report? And they procrastinated. So that's a little bit how they differ between adult and children wow. ADHD. That's very helpful with what I'm going to ask you because next, because we have a lot of professionals who may be transitioning from being young adults to adults. And it's not just the age difference, but also they take on more responsibilities. They may get married or start a business. What do you see in your practice? In Do you see something changing at some point, maybe between... I want to say 20s, our 20s and our 30s. Are there changes there? Well, the first thing I see is they get married and the spouse tells them, go get evaluated because <laughs> the, the spouse is getting annoyed now that they've uh, lost their cell phone so many times or they've lost the house keys so many times. And the spouse says, something's going on here. Uh, go see Van Gorp, get evaluated. <laughs> um and that's not only tongue-in-cheek. That, that really, uh, most of my patients who do come in say, uh, I'm here because uh, my wife or my husband told me to come in. Uh, very, very common. Um, also, during that, those ages, that's a very important period for social development. Mm -hmm. And their friends get very frustrated with them. Many patients say in that age group, you know, my friendships are strained or I've lost some friendships because my friends are fed up with me uh, canceling on them or being late or not showing up because I forgot. We had a dinner engagement and I forgot and I didn't show up. And they're, they're dropping me as a friend. And so because the social development is really important in the early 20s, mid-20s, um, it impacts those social relationships. So a, a lot of Young adults come in during those ages because of this, the impact on their social relationships. Absolutely. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because recently I, I've had exactly what you're describing. I had a few clients where they specifically said, well, I almost feel that I have to choose between my partner and my friends. And oftentimes it ends up putting pressure on their relationship. And what about, for example, people who are transitioning to, for example, they may have been excellent students. Um, maybe they completed a very demanding uh, program. And now they've been kind of like in the field, so to speak, for like a number of years. 
I've had a number of professionals approaching me and say, I'm not sure what's going on. I'm struggling with staying focused. Do you see clients like that? Frequently. Um, one thing, uh, I'll mention sort of two types of patients. One is the early career patient, and those are people who've just graduated, and they're often struggling in their job related to ADHD, and they're getting in trouble at work, or they, they realize they're struggling and they're not yet in trouble at work, but they realize they're headed for a problem because they're either procrastinating or they're forgetting things or making minor errors, and they know it's going to become a problem. So that's one type of patient we see. A lot of times I see, often in the finance world, mid-career patients who come in saying, I'm sure I must have ADHD, something's not right, I'm not paying attention. Or I see later career patients saying, I think I must have ADHD because I just don't think I'm succeeding like I ought to, must be ADHD. For the mid and later career patients, sometimes those patients either can have depression mm -hmm. and it's not really ADHD, but people in the finance world are not prone to think of depression as the first explanation, and often it, it is actually the explanation. Sometimes for those who are a little bit older, it actually, one wonders if it can be some other neurological issue and people who are in their late 50s, sometimes there can be an early dementia illness that we sometimes diagnose. Post-COVID brain fog sometimes is occurring. So when we see it later on uh, in those career people, we often wonder about other conditions that are being present that are misdiagnosed sometimes as uh, ADHD. Not always, but sometimes. And I'm glad that you mentioned brain fog because one of the things that, for example, I have been struggling with, I had COVID back in December and I had mild symptoms. However, in the past six months, I have noticed that my ability to recall certain words is a little bit slower. And oftentimes in working with, with our clients, we see certain clients who feel, hey, I'm not uh, motivated to do certain things or I'm slacking off. I'm not uh, putting in the work or I'm simply not paying attention. It's my fault. And oftentimes you find out that maybe they had COVID, but they are not aware about brain fog. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Because I feel that this is probably uh, one of the main issues that is going on among professionals here in the city, the fact that this is simply being ignored. There's no question. And for a subset of patients who've had COVID, and particularly those with what is being called long COVID, a subset of those patients have a neurological condition and it results in cloudy thinking. Mm -hmm. We call that brain fog, sort of slowed thinking, a mild forgetfulness, uh, just the person is not on top of things. And it, it can mimic ADHD. It can actually be severe. I mean, it can range from just a very mild, slowed thinking, a little feeling of cloudiness in their consciousness, sort of a foggy, fogginess in their thinking. On to, I have a few patients I've evaluated who have outright dementia, where all cognitive domains are affected. And the first one or two, I thought, 
this can't be COVID. This has to be something like Alzheimer's. It must mm-hmm. be. And by now I've seen about 10 of these people and they're all looking the same. And it's not Alzheimer's, but they're the exception. Most COVID patients don't have that. They're definitely the exception. Mm-hmm. But um, there can definitely be this brain fog, slowed thinking, mild forgetfulness that can occur in cases of long COVID that is due to the COVID condition itself. And it's uh, worrisome and concerning. What would you tell that person? Um, if you were in my shoes, I mean, I, I, it is no secret. Uh, my partner and I, we always say, look, I can ask you the questions and uh, the questions may reveal that you have ADHD, but that I would be doing you a disservice. We always recommend you should consult with a professional, get this professionally evaluated. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do within your practice? Yes. So we do a neuropsychological evaluation. So we, first of all, do a clinical interview. And as part of the clinical interview, one of the differential diagnoses in uh, ADHD versus something like uh, brain fog associated with COVID in ADHD, typically the ADHD condition has an onset before age 12. It just doesn't magically appear in adulthood. So I would really try to probe, and it's not always easy to find out, but did these symptoms really originate in childhood before age 12? So that's a clear uh, indication of differential diagnosis. But we administer psychometric tests. Mm-hmm that help us uh, determine if the person is inattentive. Now, interestingly enough, 60% of persons with ADHD still perform in a normal way on neuropsychological tests. And the reason is they're tested in a room like we're in today, quiet environment, one-on-one, structured. It doesn't replicate the real world. Uh, horns honking and phones ringing and all this stuff. The TV's gone. So we also have them and maybe their spouse or someone else, parent, if it's a child, complete rating scales to rate their degree of inattentiveness. And we combine the rating scales, the neuropsychological testing, as well as our own observation of them throughout the day that they're tested. We combine all that information as well as they complete a self-report of their childhood symptoms of inattention. And we look at all that and put all the pieces of the puzzle together to see if it looks more like ADHD versus brain fog associated with something like COVID or something else, depression or what have you. How long would it take? Our clients are, are limited with time. They, they have busy lives. On average, how long would it take to, to do all of that? If there's nothing complicated involve like also differentiating between COVID or something like that, we can do a focused assessment in something like um, 90 to 120 minutes, hour and a half to two hours. If there's a complicated case, let's say a person also has co-occurring major depression or they have an extensive history of heavy alcohol use, or you know, <clears throat> there are all these other factors going on. Or let's say they're concerned about, let's say they're 58 years old and they're wondering if they have early Alzheimer's versus the ADHD, which is, is a not infrequent question. Then they should come in for a comprehensive evaluation, and that's a nine-to-five 
Nine to five, okay. Nine to five kind of thing. So it just depends on the scope and complexity of their case. Interesting, okay. And what we also get a lot in our practice is someone who comes in and feels like, well, I need Adderall or I need medication right away. And I'm like, whoa, like hold your horses right there. Do you see clients coming into you directly and, and well, and being very direct and say, well, kind of like, doctor, can you fix it? hundred percent. And <clears throat> for many of those persons, the request is legitimate. I mean, somebody with serious ADHD is suffering and they want relief. So it's not unreasonable for them to say, what can you do to give me relief? But then there are people with a hidden agenda. Mm-hmm. And so that's the reason we use standard psychometric tests. Exactly. And Included in our test battery are tests to look for exaggeration, faking, uh, this kind of thing. And then if somebody's exaggerating, uh, you know, then they're not candidates for a stimulant medication because it looks like they have another agenda. I'm so glad that you brought that up because that's something that people are not really aware. And I have to say it's the first time that I hear someone saying that maybe I haven't done enough research. But anyway, one of the things that we wanted to ask is parents. Uh, We're fortunate, we're blessed to have a little one ourselves. And we run into a lot of parents who oftentimes they're beating themselves up, uh, not literally, but just, uh, they're just saying, well, you know, since I've become a parent, I see that I'm all over. Kind of like I feel my, my ability to pay attention has gone down. And uh, oftentimes we try to assess. Do you see more parents coming to you, in other words? Do you see parents coming to you specifically with that type of complaint? I see two types of parents who come to me. Uh, The most common is the parent who comes to me and says, my child was diagnosed with ADHD. That makes me wonder if I have it. Would you evaluate me too? That's actually shockingly common. So we see that the most frequently. Uh, what you're describing makes me wonder about the impact of sleep, let's say, on the parent. And if they're sleep-deprived, they're going to be inattentive. And so they may be misinterpreting the effects of lack of sleep uh, causing inattentiveness. But uh, it's pretty surprising the number of parents who come wondering if they have ADHD based on uh, genetic factors and so forth because their child was diagnosed with it. That's uh, that's good to know because I have to say that is something that I don't hear that often, but it's probably there. I mean, you see it. One of the things that uh, you mentioned that I think it is the key, and uh, Marcel and I have seen this throughout the pandemic, is the lack of sleep. Uh, if you can tell us a little bit more, I know you you said a few things, but it, I, I don't know if there's more that you can say. Because what we see is, uh, I'll give you the example, uh, a professional working maybe nine to five, but works from home. So there's no longer boundaries. So may start at eight or nine, but uh, maybe they have emails later on, a phone call with Asia at some point, uh, you know, at 11 p.m. What do you see? How do you see sleep being a factor here? And, And what do you tell your clients? So a lack of sleep can cause all kinds of cognitive issues, ranging, if if someone is sleep-deprived, it can cause 
range of issues from simple inattention to more major cognitive impairment, one of the big culprits uh, can be sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. If someone has undiagnosed sleep apnea, that can be a big problem cognitively. It can cause a range of cognitive issues, not only inattention, but memory impairment and all kinds of problems. Uh, even people with diagnosed sleep apnea, many people are non-compliant with the CPAP machine because they don't like to wear it, it's uncomfortable, and so they just are not compliant with wearing that CPAP. And um, so sleep apnea can really be a problem. Uh, sometimes if people are heavy alcohol users, that can interrupt their sleep during the night. They have that rebound effect from alcohol. They wake up during the night. Alcohol can be a big culprit in interrupting uh, their sleep, and then that can cause all kinds of uh, cognitive issues. How about recreational drugs? And I'm talking marijuana primarily, or nowadays in the city, um, lots of people, they may use gummies or different things. How do you, do you see that contributing to the attention or not? Well, if they're actively using marijuana, um, if they're using it for, for a medicinal purpose, <clears throat> from a sleep perspective, that can help them sleep at night. But if they're using it during the daytime, that produces an intoxication. And so they're going to be inattentive because they're intoxicated. So you'd get the same level of inattention as if they had a few glasses of wine. Mm -hmm. and we're trying to pay attention. So, for example, if they're using marijuana while they're trying to study, let's say, for a class, or they're trying to do work in their job, let's say in finance or whatever their job is, they're going to be inattentive during that intoxicated state, same as if they had glasses of wine. That is really important, what you just said. I think that this is going to help out a lot of our clients. What we have seen is that if a client feels that uh, they're not paying attention. You know, we live in the great resignation. Lots of people are resigning from their jobs and they want to pursue other things, but they may be thinking about it. At the same time, if they feel they're not paying attention, well, they're not going to be motivated. And a lot of, lots of times we, we get a uh, professional tells me, how do I get my motivation back? And I'm not paying attention. And I'm like, well, I, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. I think before... You should go and get tested and see if that's, in fact, a factor, if also sleep is affecting you. If there, we can ask those clinical interviews or uh, questions ourselves. In other words, how, how important it is to speak with a professional about it? Yes, because once they focus, they can make much better decisions. And so having the ability to focus, that inner focus is another way of saying pay close attention they can really then make good reasons, reasoned decisions. Um, and sometimes people who have significant ADHD need to be treated for it. And if they're treated for it appropriately, they'll really be able to focus. But if they're all distracted and all over the place, and then they, they, their decision-making can be very impaired, actually, not, not the best decisions, which I think is what you're getting at. Absolutely, absolutely. And and talking about making the best decisions, a number of our clients are exactly where I told you that they are, where they're thinking about making a career change or maybe pursuing additional uh, years of education. 
and uh, they they come to us and you know looking for recommendations, counsel, or just for someone to listen. You are a doctor, right? So that takes a while to get there. It takes many years of studying. How has it been for you to become a doctor? Were there ever moments where you're struggling with your own paying attention, going through so many demanding programs? I've looked at at your uh, resume and everything. Sure. <clears throat> and it really requires the ability to multitask, to make a hierarchy. What's the most important thing to do? What do you have to focus on first and second? You can't uh, procrastinate too much or else you'll uh, get underwater. And so you can see how if somebody has clinically significant untreated ADHD, they can drown mm-hmm. in a professional role right. and a professional program. So um, I guess in looking back, I must not have had ADHD at least to the point where I didn't drown. Because, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, someone who does have it, it's important they get diagnosed and treated because uh, it can really de- derail a career. Exactly, derail a career. And uh, what about uh, career changes? You know, I wanted to ask you, as was there ever a moment in your life when you thought about maybe you were not fulfilled with a career or maybe you started with something and then decided to change it and, and pursue something else? Yes, when we were getting set up here, I was taken back to my old days in radio when I was a radio broadcaster before I became a psychologist. And I, I did that early, early in my life when I was both in high school, college, and I actually continued it in graduate school when I was in graduate school in psychology. I stuck with being a radio broadcaster, and then I stopped when I uh, left graduate school. But I did that for a long time, and I loved doing that. You love doing that. And one of the things that I noticed with a lot of professionals here in the city is the fact that lots of times – there's no time to have self, to practice self-care or to do something that it's a hobby or something that you enjoy. How important is that for someone who may be struggling with, with attention, with ADHD? I think it's really important because people with ADHD, they, they definitely need something on which they can place their focus. And they also need something on which they can relax and because you can't <clears> – <throat> people with ADHD often wear themselves out because it takes them extra effort to focus. Mm-hmm. My patients with ADHD often say to me, I'm so fatigued at the end of the day. I'm just so tired at the end of my workday. And I say, because you've been working so hard to pay attention, they are more tired than the average person because they've had to f- work extra hard to pay attention so for them, um, a means to relax is more important than just for the average person. Wow. So they they need that. Absolutely, I'm glad and that I'm glad that you said that. I want to be respectful of the time here, Doctor. How do people get to you? Uh, what can they do to reach out? Well, they can call our office, which is two one two two four seven thirteen fifty, or go to our website which is cognitive-assessment.com. And either way, they can uh, reach us. Terrific. The last thing that I'm, I'm going to ask, and I ask this to uh, all my guests, because I, I see that energy here in the city, and I put it in my book, I always tell professionals that they live and work in one of the most competitive cities in the U.S., right? 
Do you have any advice for those professionals who are kind of like who live here, work here, that can help them just survive in this this concrete jungle? Well, here, living here, people have to stay on top of their game. And so what they need to do, what people in New York need to do is remove any barriers that are in their way. So, for example, ADHD may be a barrier, may represent a barrier. Uh, depression may represent a barrier, whatever it is. Uh, so if that means getting therapy to remove the depression that's a barrier or anxiety that's a barrier or ADHD, if that's a barrier, either have it diagnosed professionally or have it treated. Uh, get rid of those barriers because uh, New York won't tolerate those. Wow. I, I'm speechless. What you just said, it's really kind of like our philosophy and our practice. Dr. Uh, Dr. Van Gorp, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And for all of you back home, uh, this has been another episode of the Rise to Change podcast. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit our website or find us on social media, which are linked in the description below, along with any resources uh, we mentioned in this episode. Thank you for listening, and remember to always be kind to yourself. Thank you, doctor. Thank you.